Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your healing presence. Lord, that comes upon us, even in our grief and our pain. That we turn to you, we hold on to you, because we know you're holding on to us. So keep holding, Lord. There's more to this journey ahead. We need you. We turn to you. We worship you. And we praise you, even in the midst of this time we're in. Thank you, precious Jesus, for holding us close. In your name we pray. Amen. Imagine, imagine you or your son graduating from college and instead of going to law school that he hoped to, he checked into a drug rehabilitation center. A 30 day inpatient treatment center where he could get his problem under control and get his life back on track. William was a freshman at Ole Miss in 2008. He had a quick wit and a big friendly smile. He was an A student in the Honors College and part of the Croft Institute. He was fluent in Spanish, was a member of the Sigma Nu fraternity, and ran track for the Rebels his freshman and sophomore year. In 2010, he was an academic All-SEC. At the age of 23, William died from a drug overdose. He went from rehab facility to rehab facility. Eventually, he moved into a halfway house in Nashville and worked at a computer store. But one Friday night after a, call, after a concert and ingesting too many drugs, his body shut down. He was going to quit drugs after graduation, but it was harder than he thought. It took three years, over three years, for his parents to make peace with William's addiction and tragic death, or as much peace as parents can, they said. They don't want other students to suffer like he did. They don't want other parents to suffer like they have. That's why they try to tell this story to all the entering freshmen and have dedicated much of their time to creating the William McGee Center for Wellness Education at Ole Miss. It provides drug and alcohol education and support and so much more. I've been familiar with this center, but it was over the Christmas holidays that I once again became familiar with it again or more familiar with it because one of my greatest mentors, Mr. O'Farrell, was being honored with an outdoor complex being added to this McGee Center. Dick O'Farrell was the director at Alpine Camp. It's a Christian camp for boys in Northeast Alabama, and he directed for over 50 years. 
It's where I spent my summers in college. It was probably one of the most formative times in my life. We were 40 to 50 counselors, caring for hundreds and hundreds of boys. Mr. O'Farrell's focus was to focus on us, nurture us, so that we would go out and nurture and teach others. A community giving towards community. Over 30 years later, with the McGee Center, I was able to give something back to another community to help others and even another community, all in the name of wellness, health, and education. Maybe. Maybe that'll prevent one more student from becoming addicted to drugs. Maybe it'll prevent one more family from suffering, as the McGee's did. How are we? How are you and me, through the power of Jesus Christ, bringing healing and wholeness to our communities? Our bodies are connected to other bodies. God gathers us like sea glass. And God calls us to gather others. We long for communities of recovery, and none of us are free until all of us are free. Sometimes, sometimes we can help provide healing for one life. Sometimes we can even impact and shape lives for a larger community as we continue this series on healing and holy vessels today we look at community health our scripture today comes from the gospel of matthew i hope you'll turn with me into the bibles you brought or devices in which we look at this scripture and the healing of the, the centurion asked for the healing of his servant matthew 8 verses 5 through 13 and remember last week we looked at the first four verses and the last few of this last week. Join me in today's scripture reading. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, appealing to him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible distress. And he said to him, I will come and cure him. And the centurion answered, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only speak the word and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and the slave does this. When Jesus heard him, he was amazed and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, and no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and will eat with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the heirs of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you according to your faith. And the servant was healed in that very hour. 
So in today's scripture, we meet a centurion. Do you know what a centurion is? Rode over a lot of people. Or in, the, in the Roman army, there were 6,000 men in a legion. Most of the legions were comprised of 60 centuries. And so guess how many men were in each century? A hundred. All right, we're doing good. We're adding here. And guess who the leader of a century was? A centurion. Good, we got it. We, we get that number hundred as it comes through for us today. A centurion was the commander of a hundred men. He was responsible for discipline and was a full active uh, part of the army. He was steady, reliable, would hold his ground, even die at his post if necessary. You know, this isn't the first time in Scripture that we have met a centurion. Does the name Cornelius ring a bell? In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius has a vision and he calls Paul, or excuse me, Peter. Peter, come and interpret or help me understand this vision. And many believe that Cornelius, who was a centurion in the Italian regiment, became the first Gentile convert. A centurion would, most, would be a most unlikely model of faith. A centurion is an outsider. He's an army officer. He's part of the establishment. But there are two extraordinary things about this centurion that I want us to look at a little further. His extraordinary faith and his extraordinary attitude. The centurion's attitude toward his servant was something unique, something unusual, something special. A servant was basically a slave. And this centurion, this powerful, mighty man, was grieving that his servant was ill and would do anything and everything in his power to save him at a time when slaves were considered property. And their suffering usually didn't make a concern. But this centurion was concerned. The servant had no legal rights and he could be treated as a centurion-like. But the centurion treated the slave with love. This powerful, steady man was moved by compassion. When we care for one another, when we are moved by another's need, we are near Jesus. Another extraordinary thing about the centurion was his faith. I mentioned to you about Mr. O or Mr. O'Farrell, the camp director. His faith and his life went hand in hand. He poured his life and his faith into us so that we would pour our lives and our faith into the kids. His impact, his impact on me from college back 30 years ago still forms my life. We see the centurion's faith in today's scripture and his trust that Jesus can do something for his servant. But there's a problem. There's a problem. The centurion, what's his background? He's a Gentile. And Jesus is a Jew. If the Jew goes to a Gentile's house, he make, or the, the house excuse me, would make him unclean. But again, don't think that would have stopped Jesus. The faith of the centurion is tested. And he responds, if you look in verses 8 and 9, by saying that Jesus didn't need to come to his house. Just say the words. That would be enough. 
The centurion did not hesitate to ask an itinerant Jewish preacher to heal his servant. This could have been humiliating for the officer, but he asked anyway. In response, what does Jesus say about this centurion? He calls this centurion, this Gentile, a model of faith in all of Israel. I find it amazing that just two verses after the centurion's request, what does Jesus say? I'll come. I will come and cure him. I wonder, I wonder, did this centurion really expect Jesus to accept his request? When we pray to Jesus, when we go to Jesus, when we make a request to Jesus, are we really expecting him to answer us with a yes? Are we really expecting him to heal? I think we want to. I think we hope to. I think our minds expect him to say yes. But do we really think he will come and cure us? Jesus, as a Jew, did not hesitate to respond to the Gentiles' request, even to go heal his servant. Jesus will do the same for us. Jesus' power, Jesus' authority, overrules the power that holds this servant he has never seen in suffering. His power is just as powerful today as it was then. That's faith that moves mountains. But speaking of mountains, I think I've put myself between a rock and a hard place this morning. And I need to address, address it, especially in this time of COVID where we've seen a lot of sickness and prayer requests for healing. One could interpret what I've already said this morning and draw this conclusion. If one has enough faith, their request for healing will be granted. One could conversely conclude, if I pray for healing and the person is not healed, then I do not have enough faith. Our faith is not measured by our response, but by our request. Our faith is not measured by our response but by our request. And by leaving that request up to one who has more power and authority than we ever will. Our faith is tested by letting go and trusting. The man does not boast or claim to have faith. It is Jesus that twice declares and testifies to the centurion's faith. The emphasis in today's passage is really not on this miracle of healing, but on the faith of the centurion. The faith of the centurion who was a Gentile. He's the first Gentile we meet in Matthew, except the three wise men. But the people had associated Gentiles with unbelievers. Jesus in today's scripture is healing more than the servant of centurion. He is opening the door to the healing of a whole community. He is opening the door to the healing of a whole 
community. Let that impact soak in for a second. The McGee's at Ole Miss are offering a pathway to healing to a vulnerable community through the tragic loss of their son. They've shown an extraordinary attitude and demonstrated amazing faith and humility. Mr. O, the director at the camp I mentioned and my mentor, has mentored thousands of counselors, thousands of boys for 50 years. Faith and attitude have been his examples. What? What difference have we as a community called Emmanuel made in these past 50 years? And what difference will we make in the next 50? How are we? How are you and me, through the power of Jesus, bringing healing and wholeness to our communities? Our bodies are connected to a larger body. God gathers us like sea glass, and God calls us to gather others. We long for communities of recovery. But none of us are free until we all are free. Let us affirm our commitment this morning to be the body of Christ that knows we cannot be personally healed until we see the interconnected community as part of the process of that healing. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.